You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. As some of you know, on Friday, I did something that I hadn't done since 2009. I went on the ski slopes. This time I actually went snowboarding. But um, the last time I went, all the way back in 2009, I actually broke my growth plate and tore some ligaments in my knee, dislocated my kneecap. All at the same time, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they had to put me on a sled and like take me down, and it was, it was the first run of the day, and I haven't been back since. I mean, I, I had surgery and all kinds of stuff. But some friends were going. Um, Thursday night they were talking about it, and they were like, hey, do you want to go with us? And I, I was like, yeah, definitely. So I, this time I did the snowboarding, because you can, you can be strapped in with both your legs. You can't like twist around as much. Is this on? Are we good? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I, I finally did it. And, you know, I started off snowboarding. I'd never snowboarded, snowboarded before, though I, I had been on the slopes. I'd skied three times before, but I was like, I want to try something new. Um, and I did very poorly at the beginning. Uh, I fell, like, right off the bat. And, like, it's really easy to go on your heels like that and, like, go down and go really slowly and, like, fall backwards. So I was, I was very prone to just fall backwards a lot. Um, and I, I did that time and time again. I really never even mastered like the, the really easy slope before, before I went to the Black Diamond. And I, so I went to the most difficult one and tried to go down it. And I fell, oh my word, I don't even know. I, I don't even know if I can count how many times. But I, I started just falling backwards. And then I was like, no, you know what, I'm just going to go. And I, I like went for it. And I go down, and then I tried to come back the other way, and I, I was on my toes, and I fell backwards and, like, flipped over, and my hat flew off and my glove, and I, I went, like, 20 feet further than my hat and glove and had to, like, inchworm my way back up the mountain. It was, it was quite embarrassing. By the end of the day, though, I will say, after so many runs, and I'm extremely sore today, like, my neck, I was telling Pastor Daniel today, like, my neck my shoulders, all my muscles and my arms, like everything is sore. But after all of that, at the end of the day, I was doing pretty well. Like I, I felt like I was doing pretty well at snowboarding. Didn't go back on the black diamond, but I did like totally get through the last few runs without falling. I think sometimes we feel like life will work this way. Uh, we think that the mistakes that we've made in the past uh, are somehow going to be corrected whenever we go into the future if we just have the will to do it, right? We'll get better. We'll learn from our mistakes. We'll, we'll be a new person, a better us, uh, us 2.0, right? Um, but time and time again, it proves to not be like the snowboarding experience. It, it proves to not be like learning how to play the guitar. It proves to not be like learning how to do well at your job. Typically, experience makes you way better at what you're doing, right? But somehow in life, we can actually continue living and continue having experiences and get worse. Uh, I think, case in point, we can look at, if, if our goal in life is to be really happy, then we can look at Lincoln and we can say, that is a happy kid. Like, that guy is living it up. He absolutely enjoys himself. He's, he's had far less experience than any of us, and he is really, really happy, you know? If, if that's the goal, then we're, we're not doing it right. If we think experience is just going to make us better, like if we just try harder, 
Experience doesn't always make us better. Um, there's a guy named Augustine who actually learned this. Uh, he, was, he was walking through the streets of Rome, and he was not a Christian at this time. Um, he later became one of the most famous Christians who have ever lived. Um, but he's, he's walking through Rome, and he sees this, this guy who's drunk on the street. And he's gone through all of these um, schools. He's been studying his whole life so that he could teach rhetoric um, back in Carthage. So he's, he's trained his whole life and worked really, really hard, and he's miserable. He's absolutely miserable. And he sees this drunk on the street who's got a, he's, he has his wine or whatever he's drinking, and he is happy as can be. I mean, you can just see it on his face. He, he loves what he's doing. He says, if that is my goal, then I could do it just as well without all this work. I could just be a drunk on the street. And it's through that that he realized that there's, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. I'm not going to try and um, spoil anything for you from Star Wars, but, <laughs> but in the new Star Wars, uh, Rey ends up on this island. If you saw the last one, I'm not ruining anything. She ends up on this island. She's going to, to seek out Luke to train her, right? Um, Luke um, asks her at, at one point, why are you here? And she's like, well, the rebels sent me. I came here to get training. Um, you know, she just gives like a basic answer. And he says, no, why are you here? I think that's the question for us today. It's not, why are you here? Well, because my family comes to church. Um, or, you know, I, I live in the area. I was just kind of checking it out. No, why are you here? Why are you really here? Why, do you, why are you living today? Um, until we are trying to answer that question, going into a new year, trying to have a new beginning, trying to be a new you, you're not going to come out with the right answer. If, if your goal is just to be, to be like working on yourself and to like be this better person because you've learned from your experiences and the only thing you're doing is like what, the same thing you've done in the past but in a new way, it's not going to work. Why are you here? I think before we can go into 2018 ready to make some changes, we have to ask that basic question. And not in an ordinary way with simple answers. Saying, I, I make a living by, or I work in a factory, or I, I'm working at a school, or yeah, I'm a, I'm a mother, I take care of my children, or I, I just really like to have fun on the weekends. That's, that's why I'm here. Like, that's, that's what I do. These answers miss the point. Why are you here? It's not simply that uh, what you do sometimes or what you do most of the time or what you've done in the past. It's why you do what you do. Why do you do what you do? Your beliefs shape what you do. Do you want to change the way that 2018 looks? It's not going to happen by changing what you do. It's going to be by changing why you do what you do. That's what it's going to come down to. It's never going to happen by trying harder or doing more. There's going to be a fundamental shift in your thinking. So let's consider these problems today by looking in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we find the story of the beginning of God's world, and specifically one facet of the world, humans. It's not 
about trees. This isn't a book about trees. This is about humanity. Um, we will only be looking at the beginning of the book, but I hope you will see the cycle that man goes through. And, but I also don't want you to just see it in the Bible. I want you to see it in your own life. I think you'll see it in your experience. Genesis 1 through 3 um, depicts this picture, and I, I know that we, we talk about this all the time, but it, it depicts this perfect world that God has created. And he, he places man into the world that he's created, and he simply says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Right? I mean, it doesn't get much more simple. And then he, he says, don't eat from this one tree. Um, but whenever man is faced with temptation, he inevitably falls. He, he decides that he, the, what the serpent says about being able to know good and evil is way more important than what God has said. Um, we see Eve misquoting God. Whenever, whenever the serpent says, no, God didn't say you, didn't, you can't, uh, you didn't have to eat, or you cannot eat from the tree. Um, and Eve says, no, he said we can't eat or touch the tree. And right away, there's this twisting of what God has said, misquoting God, misunderstanding what God has said. And that leads into the sin, the fall of humanity. It's a failure to obey God, and it's a, this was a conscious choice to define what it meant to be human and what it meant to live in a way that was totally apart from God. This was a rebellion. But in Genesis 3.15, we see this promise that God does not leave humanity in sin. God doesn't leave humanity in their failure. He doesn't say, okay, well, you know, you can do it. Clearly you think you can do it, so I'm going to let you do it. He doesn't leave them in that, in that place. He says, I will put, he's, he's talking to the serpent um, about his, the curse that will be imposed upon the serpent. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. It, sometimes it doesn't seem like that's a very significant uh, thing, but that is, that's a promise that God is going to punish evil. God will do away with evil. God will not just leave humanity to his own devices to be able to, to try and you know, flounder through life on his own, but there's this promise that God will deal with sin. God will deal with evil. So right away, this is what we have. We have failure, and then we have God's promise. All right? Now we need to see what is the response to failure. Going on into Genesis 4, 1 through 15, and I am actually going to read this, this passage. And Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she, began, and, and she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain uh, brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. 
And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said, un- said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, or angry? Um, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shalt thou shall be his desire, and you shall shalt rule over him, and thou shalt rule over him. All right. So right away, uh, I want to to set this up. So in the beginning, you have a perfect world. God has created them to live in harmony with him, to subdue creation, to work, and to be tillers of the ground, to be garden keepers, basically, for God, and to live in this perfect humanity. Humanity falls. Uh, Adam sins. Um, Adam and Eve are fallen from God, and they're, they're removed from the garden. Then we see another situation play out that seems kind of reminiscent, right? It reminds us of that first story, where there's a choice to be made. Are they going to submit to God and what God says, or are they going to do their own thing? Cain, his, he sacrifices his fruit of the ground, his vegetables, his fruit, whatever he is offering up to God. That's what, he's, he's a garden keeper of fruit, and Abel is a keeper of sheep. Now, sometimes we read into this that, um, okay, the sacrificial system, they sacrifice lambs. This was clearly something that God wanted um, he, he wanted sheep. He didn't, he didn't want the sacrifice. Uh, he wanted a blood sacrifice, not a vegetable sacrifice. But ultimately, they were both offering up what they, what they had worked for. They were offering it up to God. And neither of them were necessarily, like, bad, right? God could have accepted either. But what happened? God rejected Cain's offering. Now, the point is not the rejection. The point is the response. The point is, God was bringing a test to Cain. He says, sin is crouching at the door, but a, an, a, an accurate translation of Timshel, this word, is thou mayest uh, rule over it. You can rule over sin. You, you do not, just because I re- rejected your offering, just because things are bad, doesn't mean that you have to respond with hatred. Doesn't mean that you have to respond by taking things into your own hands and not submitting to my will. You can respond to this in the correct way. But what does Cain do? And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened up her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond thou shalt be on the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a, a mark upon Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So we see a retelling of the Genesis story, of that original story. And what happens? 
Man doesn't learn from their mistakes and submit to God, but rather, and whenever they're faced with failure, they take things into their own hands. And this time, it, it takes the form of murder, taking his own brother's life out of envy. So I know what you're thinking, all right, this is pretty extreme. And like that, that was a pretty harsh punishment and everything. That's not something that I actually deal with or anything. <laughs> Um, and also, obviously, they're going to learn from this. They're not going to like murder each other anymore, right? Uh, but let's, let's go on a little bit further. 4.22, all right, chapter 4, verse 22. Uh, look at this. And Zillah, she also bare Tubalcane, an inst- instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubalcane was Naama. And Lamech, said unto his wives, right, does that seem odd right away? <laughs> All right, in the beginning, they were created to be husband and wife, and the two become one flesh, right? So it's one and one, and it's a, a perfect union. Right away, we have Lamech, who has, he's saying things to his wives. He has multiple wives. And then he says, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. I don't know if you can, you can tell what's going on there, but he, he has multiple wives, first of all. <laughs> That's a red flag right away, right? Things have not gotten better. He are, he's already gotten multiple wives. He's, he's perverting God's good gift of sex. And then not only that, but he's perverting life and being proud about it. He's killing people and then singing about it. He's, he's talking to his wives and he's singing about how he's killed an old, a, a man and a young boy. He's killed both of them and he's really happy. Like he's, he's pretty proud of what he's done. All right, things have not gotten better. They have not learned from their mistakes, but rather have gone further and deeper into sin. When Cain sins, he doesn't really own up to it before God. He's fearful about what he's done. You know, he says, am I my brother's keeper? I, I don't know what's going on with my brother. Lamech, on the other hand, is bragging. He killed a man and a boy for hurting him. And he's bragging about also having two wives. Uh, he's, he has two wives and he killed two people. Um, things seem to be getting worse, not better. Seems that hope is basically lost for humanity, right? Seems like things are not going very well. However, there was another lion. Uh, Adam and Eve did not have merely two sons. They, they clearly had a lot more children than that. Uh, but also there's, there was this chosen line. That they thought it was going to be through Cain. They thought, oh, this promise that God has made will be fulfilled in Cain's line. Uh, but then Cain's a murderer, <laughs> and God has cursed Cain. And it seems like that's probably not going to be the case. Eve is blessed with another child, Seth, and it's through Seth's line that we're, we come to the character that we will be talking about next. In Genesis 6, I'm sorry, I'm having you turn to a lot of passages, but go to Genesis 6. We have a new person on the scene. Humanity has not gotten better. Faced with a new beginning, Cain decided to kill. Faced with even God's grace and not slaying him at that moment or leaving him to go out into the world and to be killed by others, God protects him, gives him grace in that way, 
but humanity plunges further and further into sin. Um, just a few generations after Cain's children, and after, after the episode with Lamech and everything, you have a guy named Noah, all right? Um, God actually describes humanity in the worst way possible here in 6, 5 through 8. I really don't know if you could ever, like if you were to talk about a city or something, like if you're, if you're like man in Boonville, they, they don't dwell on anything but evil continually. Like that would be a pretty bad uh, thing to say, right? God actually says some pretty strong words here about humanity. In verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of his thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Man, I mean, it went really downhill. Man didn't learn from his experience, but rather plunged further and further into evil. So, but rather than God saying, okay, I'm just going to let, let man do its own thing, like clearly they think they know what to do. Um, and they're, they're just murdering each other and having multiple wives and really perverting all of God's good gifts. Rather than leaving them in that state, God gives them the grace of a new beginning. He... He continues to build on his promise of Genesis 3.15, that he's going to destroy evil, that he's going to punish sin. He has grace. If, if only the people will trust in his promise, instead of taking life into their own hands, um, he will work his promises out. And he finds one man. He, find, he, he finds Noah, and he says that, it says that uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God's favor was upon Noah. Noah was one who was trusting in the promises of God. He gives man a, a clean slate. He, he literally wipes out the earth, sends a flood that destroys all of life on the earth, except what Noah and his family, Noah and his wife, and their three children, and their wives, and then also um, all the animals that they took on the earth, on the ark. Um, he isn't simply destroying. This isn't simply just a matter of punishment, but rather a new beginning for mankind. So after the flood, everything's been wiped out. We've got this new start. And God says, I've made a covenant with you. I will never destroy the earth again. Trust in my promises. Trust me. And then he gives the same command that he gave Adam and Eve in the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. I mean, there's no more explicit new beginning than this one here. Noah is given absolutely perfect circumstances to live life solely for God. But the result... Is, he does pretty well. Like he, he is trusting in the promises. He has faith. We read later on in the New Testament that Noah is one that had faith. However, humanity on his own still is not going to be able to do this because we see even a guy who has faith in God, um, 
we see later on in the story that he gets hammered, like he's, he's flat out drunk, and then he gets, he's naked, like totally naked, and he's, he's just like laying down, stone, stone cold drunk, doesn't know what's going on, and his son walks in on it and sees him naked and drunk. And his son thinks this is funny or whatever, and he goes and tells his brothers. His brothers have reverence, and they, they go backwards with a blanket, and they cover him up, and they, they are not going to look on their father's nakedness. But this was, this was a great disrespect and irreverence towards the family that God had set up. Um, we see failure on Noah's part to try and live out a, a perfect humanity. He, he fails to do this. Though he has faith, though he trusts in God, he's still going to fail. Mankind can't do this on his own. Um, and then he leads even his sons into sin, his, his son. His abuse is apparent before his sons, and he's, he's been made foolish and shameful before his family. But this isn't, sadly, this, this new beginning doesn't result in a restored and perfect humanity. Uh, the next story that we have is Babel, uh, the Tower of, of Babel. This is the pinnacle of man's rebellion. Um, man does not simply uh, go out and fill the earth and subdue it and honor God and trust in his promises that he's going to deal with evil but rather they decide that we need to come together, all right, so they're not filling the earth, first of all, but then they also want to make a name for themselves. They're not trying to honor God. They're not trying to make a name for God. They're not trying to bring glory to God, but rather to make a name for themselves by building this tower. And God confuses the languages and disperses mankind across the world. But we see time and time again, God gives this, things aren't working out, Man is not doing well. Man is definitely not going to make the right choices. God has these promises that they can trust in. They fail to trust in the promises. They take things into their own hands and they fail. And then God delivers them. Time and time again, they don't deserve it, but God delivers them. He shows grace on man and gives them a new beginning each time. He just says, trust in my promises. Trust in my promises. We have traced mankind's efforts to live well, and there's been an utter failure every time. Even Noah, who was trusting in God's promises, failed to live for him while, he, he was, while his circumstances were even perfect. Sometimes we make mistakes, or we, we get the idea that we're going to learn from experience, we're going to do better this year, um, and then things inevitably, like finances, go poorly lose our job, uh, we have family problems, and things end up like, you know, the things that you're thinking today, you thought last year on December 31st, right before the, the new year, right? You, you have these same resolutions to, to be a new person, to be better, to do better with your family, to whatever you were, you're trying to do. But things inevitably get in the way. But some of you, you, you aren't even willing to own up to the fact that you have failed in the past year, but rather it's just been your circumstances. Some of you, it's, it's just, well, th- things would have gone differently if I just had the right, uh, if my job had just given me that promotion that I deserved. If I just run into that, if I had just been able to save up money a little bit better, but then there was that car problem. Um, 
we make excuses for why we aren't getting better and we, we fail to own up to the fact that we're the problem. We're the issue. We are the ones who are getting in the way of living the life that God's meant us to live. We're never going to do it in our own power. Mankind was not called to live perfectly and without sin, but to trust that God would do what we failed to do over and over again. That's to deal with sin. We just have to trust in God's promises. Lastly, uh, the last story, and I'm sorry, there's so many stories, Um, but Abraham, (laughs) Abraham is called out of Ur. He's called and he's, he's given this great promise that through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he's old. He's super old. He's like 100 years old. His wife's like 90. Like there's no way that they're going to have kids. But he's like, God says, you are going to have children. And through your children, all of, all of the world will be blessed. And this is further going on to that promise of crushing sin in the future. Um, and Abram responds in faith. Though it doesn't make sense at all, though it doesn't, really accord with the world, what, what the world thinks you should do. He leaves this city where he's thriving. He leaves and follows God out into the desert on this promise that God is going to, to deliver on what he said he would do. I want to look at one more person, but this person is a, a little bit different. This is uh, Jesus in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 11, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up to the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus, Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil uh, leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. This last person that we're looking at, Jesus, his temptation is pretty similar, right? It, it reminds us a lot of the stories that we read, we read in Genesis. He's tempted, but there's, there's a drastically different result. He depends solely on God. He trusts in God to be delivering on his promises. He trusts that God has a plan, um, and he totally submits to his Father's will. And in this, he succeeds in doing what no man could ever do. 
and that's to conquer sin. He defeats temptation. The snake in the garden who, who tempted Eve and Adam and Eve both gave in to the snake. And then we have Jesus being tempted by Satan, but he does not fall. He lives perfectly. He submits to God's will. He, he even quotes scripture. How, how is he going to combat uh, what's going on? How does he know to trust in, the word of, in, in what God has said? Because he knows what God has said. He studied God's word. And in that, he could submit to what God has said and trust. Colossians says that he's the firstborn of the new creation. He did not sin. He perfectly lived for God. And he suffered for sins, not his own. He actually paid the price for our failures. He dies and resurrects the victorious human that we all failed to be. He, in him, is the only new beginning that's ever worth actually putting your effort into. If, whenever we try to do it in our own power, we fail. Jesus did it perfectly. Trust in Jesus. Your new beginning can only be found in Jesus. Whenever your new beginning is found in more effort, it's failure. Whenever your new beginning is drowned in excuses for why you're not doing what you should be doing, it's failure. The only new beginning that's worth anything is in Jesus. So let me ask you these questions, and I'm going to close. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Are you still thinking that you're going to make the correction in this new year? That you're going to do this on your own? That you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and live well if you just try harder? Are you still trying to shift the blame and avoid responsibility for your failures? Are you just blaming your job or your husband or your wife or your kids for your problems? The problem is us. The problem is that we are prone to sin. We are depraved. Our success will never be found in ourselves. It can only be found in God. I want to leave you with a quote, and we're going to sing. C.S. Lewis said, There are those who say to God, Your will be done. And there are those to whom God says, Your will be done. Are you going to live in your own power? Or are you going to submit to the will of God and trust in him, trust in his promises? Make that resolution today to find your new beginning in him.